places please this is your places call places for the top of the show places welcome to waiting for places hello hey how's it going katrina it's great to be here oh my gosh i'm so excited what are you drinking oh my god this is like my dishwater tea so it's it's a whole bunch of little things i'm a hippie now you know um but it's it's green tea primarily and then i also add a little turmeric powder and black mm-hmm. pepper and a little mushroom powder uh mushroom powder chaga mushroom supposed to be good for your brain uh verdict's still out on that but uh-huh. <laughs> it's uh-huh. hydrating it doesn't have too much sugar in it so and and i at some point have to stop drinking coffee so um you know anyway so that's yeah this is it's kind of my staple my daily staple i make my pot of coffee and then i have my tea I love it. I drink black tea in the morning. And then I've recently been like, all right, so you got to switch to herbal, but finding yeah. an herbal is easier because I have a sugar addiction 100%. So finding that tea Gateway I can drug. drink. Exactly. Yeah. People are like, what drugs do you do? And I'm like, sugar and caffeine. Sugar <laughs> and caffeine. <laughs> oh God. And the two together. It's like, right? ooh, <laughs> this is how That's I how work. you get through a long tech day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So now that you've told me that you're a hippie, tell me your life story. How did you grow up to be the hippie that I am? Yes. Oh my God. So funny. Well, when I was a kid back in the seventies and eighties, I was obsessed with the sixties. Interestingly, (laughs) I was like, I was into collecting piece jewelry and everything, flower child stuff. So it's kind of funny. Now it's of course become retro and you know, yeah. But um, yeah, God, how did I get to be a hippie? <laughs> <laughs> or a stage manager. A stage manager. A stage manager hippie. A little bit of both. Um, yeah, awesome. Right on. Um, and, and, and the journey is hand in hand. So that's that's appropriate. Um, well, gosh, I like, you know, when I was a kid, I, I definitely was drawn to theater and film and animation. And I was obsessed with it as a kid. I made little home movies with my friends and like to play director, like to make my own little things. Um, and, and that just always excited me. Um, and then I think like, you know, I did a little bit of theater in grade school and then in high school, I went to an all girls Catholic high school. Um, and they had an excellent theater program. Um, and thankfully, you know, I, I was shy my freshman year, but my sophomore year, I, you know, tried out. <laughs> Remember when we used to say tried out, not audition. Um, I tried out for the school play. I got in. It was awesome. I kind of found my people and uh, loved, you know, loved the process, loved, you know, making shows. It was just delightful and challenging and, uh, you know, working with all kinds of different people and, you know, trying to tell stories um, and fell in love with it. And And then I, you know, was lucky enough to you know, continue pursuing that and went to school for it and studied it. And actually, when I was at college, I I, I got really obsessed with Disney. Um, you know, Little Mermaid had come out when I was in high school, this kind of reconfiguring of how they tell stories. Um, and then I was really into Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I was just like really into it. I thought like, wow, this would be the coolest job to like be a storyboard artist or, you know, be an animator, you know, create these characters. I just thought, wow, that'd be the coolest. And I I got really into it. But while I was doing that, I was studying theater. You know, I I, I did a little bit of film, you know, radio, television, film. But I kind of just found the theater world just suited me better. Like I was drawn to it. It was drawn to me. It just felt more at home than sort of the film world, if that makes sense. It was just a very different 
feeling and and kind of a groove and you know i just um it just there was something about it being you know like like a moment in time there was something really thrilling about that like the aspect of performance not being caught forever but being kind of something that is like a dialogue with the audience and that just that's just a thrill that i've always had and so I kind of just stuck with that. Like I, I was sort of thinking about animation. I was sort of thinking about that. And I kind of just stayed, you know, as a theater major, graduated. Um, I did a study abroad my junior year. I, I It was super cool. I went to Australia. Um, yeah, it was, I was there for six months um, and studied theater there. And it was so interesting to study theater. Well, to just live outside the United States when I was 20 years old was just uh, mind-blowing. Um, and I was able to travel quite a bit there um, and just learn a lot about Australian culture and Aboriginal culture and their take on the arts and just also at the same time enjoying just the incredible beauty of that country. It's just, it, it's just, it's huge. It's beautiful. It's like diverse. It's got like, you know, lush rolling hills in the south and desert and rock in the north. And so it just, like thrilled me. I just loved it. So I was there for six months um, and it was so cool to be doing theater there too, like to be doing what I love in this different context and like trying to approach it that way was really eye-opening. You know, it was like, oh, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And, you know, and it was, that was really cool. Um, and I had a professor there who, you know, is an Australian professor. And I think he called David Mamet David Mamet, you know, because it was like he was still kind of an up and coming playwright. And I was like, ah, oh, it's Mamet. But, <laughs> but, you know, it was just like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, he's just read the name. We're like in Australia. It's not, you know, I'm sure now he <laughs> knows how to say it. But, you know, it was just like things like that, that, that just, it was a good experience to get outside of my comfort zone and realize that there, you know, theater and storytelling is happening all over the world. It's not just where I grew up and, and that, you know, that exposure just made me want more. So after I graduated, I um, did some acting in, in town in the Twin Cities, you know. Um, and you grew up my... in the Twin Cities or did you I just go did. to college there? Yes, okay. I did. I, I went to college actually in Chicago, but I, I grew up here and, you know, and I, I when I was a kid, I, I just wanted to get out. Like, I was just like, oh, it's stifling. I need to see the world, you know, I just... I wanted to get out and I couldn't wait and going to Australia just galvanized that for me. And then after that, I was like, I want to go to Japan. Like I, I, I because it'll, the animation will be really good there. I was still kind of on thinking about that and drawing and that sort of thing. And I was really into anime and, you know, I was thinking this would be really cool. And, you know, after college, there was an opportunity with uh, the JET program, which is a program through Japan to bring, you know, foreigners from overseas English-speaking foreigners from overseas to Japan to teach their students English and stuff. So I did that for two years. It was amazing and uh, eye-opening. I mean, teaching English <laughs> can be a little boring after a while, um, unless you can find a way to make it interesting. But that, you know, um, but the experience of living there and being in the classroom and being with kids again and all that was really, really cool. And then that kind of led me to uh, the next thing I wanted to do, which was the Peace Corps. So and before that, I was like, oh, I can't do the Peace Corps. That's like for really hardcore people that are very brave. I didn't see myself that way. But after I lived in Japan and, and, and realized not only is it doable and fun, but it was like just incredible and so rewarding, you know, to live and travel overseas. Um, 
I just wanted more. And I thought, I think I'm ready for Peace Corps. And, um, and I applied to that. And then a year later, I, I went to Mongolia and did the Peace Corps in Mongolia for three years. And uh, I was a teacher trainer. So I was able to work with Mongolian English teachers, which was really cool because it was a more advanced English. So we got to really have wonderful conversations. I learned so much about their lives and, and their culture and, you know, their views in a way that I never would have understood <laughs> had I just read a book. So that was cool. Um, amazing, life changing, um, you know, really forced me out of my comfort zone, forced me out of all, all my tendencies that I'd had, you know, everything I'd been taught in college. It was like, or maybe we could do it this way, or maybe you need to like, you need to adapt to us, not we're adapting to you. And so that was like kind of a good uh, breaking ground for me to learn to be pliable and adaptable and listen, you know, um, and, and just see how rewarding that is and how exciting it is. And if you're open to that experience, like how much it makes your life better and, you know, and it's just joy. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, Peace Corps volunteers, like we go thinking like, we're going to go help these people. We're going to go, you know, change the world, man. And like teach English or whatever. And then you get there and you realize like the impact on you from the experience is so much greater than the impact you leave. I mean, I'm sure I made an impact with some people there, but I would be kidding myself if I, you know, thought it was as, as significant as what happened to me as a result of you know, going there. So um, that was incredible. And then I came home and then I was thinking about studying anthropology. I was like, I'm going to go to, you know, I'll get a master's. I was kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. And I, out of habit, looked at in the newspaper, they used to put, you know, auditions, like in the, I think it was the 550 in the classified. So I'd look at that and there was a position for a spotlight operator at the children's theater company in Minneapolis. And I thought I'd never done it before, by the way. I was like, spotlight, I could probably do that. Yeah. What are you just shining it on people? Oh my God. It's, I have since done it. It is an incredibly difficult job. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, it was great that I applied for that because I'd had some stage management experience in college which they picked up on when they saw my resume and they're like, you know, would you, we're actually looking to hire an assistant stage manager for a new production that we're doing. Would you be interested in that? And I was like, God, yeah, of course. It was a year with Frog and Toad. It was the first time they were doing it. And so that's kind of how that journey started. I worked with an incredible stage manager at the helm of that production, Stacey McIntosh, and learned just a ton from her. But kind of the biggest thing for me was like, seeing that stage management could also be a creative job, um, that it isn't just like a type A drill sergeant kind of person, <laughs> which has sort of been my impression in college and high school. I was like, ah, I don't identify with that. I'm like laid back or I mean, I'm, you know, in, in my way, but like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I like, I want to be more creatively involved and in the process. And I, I saw that demonstrated to me in a way that was fun and challenging and started to see how I could how I could do it and how it could be super rewarding and you know it's a really hard job but it, it, it just like I was just completely sucked in I was like this is so much fun um, incredibly difficult but also just like the combination of you know organizing things helping people running the room being right in the center of every decision just immediately appealed to me and after that production you know, I 
got more work. I got onto another show and I got onto another show and then eventually I learned how to call a show and then I got my equity card. You know, it was like, I just kind of, the ball just kept rolling in a way. So I was sort of like, eh, anthropology, maybe later, <laughs> you know, it was, um, so, so I just kind of stayed with it and I've uh, been, that was probably in 2002. So I've been doing it since then. I've worked at a lot of other companies around the country since then and stuff, but um, that's kind of been like home base for me. So I ended up moving to Minneapolis, sticking around here. And then I, you know, go here and there now and then to work with other wonderful companies too. So that's kind of, God, what was that? The story of how I became a stage manager and a hippie and everything here. That's how, that's <laughs> how we got here. I don't know. <laughs> you put no, it but it's so name. fascinating. <laughs> I mean, to have, I mean, some, a lot of people study abroad, but then to go to another country and teach English and then to go to another country, right? Like I actually didn't study abroad because it just didn't fit into my conservatory program. And yeah. I do kind of regret that. Right. Yeah. And then there are a lot of opportunities that I was like, I'm just not willing to take time out of my stage management career. So the fact that you got it all in, you know, that you like, you used your twenties to actually do the right. thing and go explore. Right, right. That's sort of how I felt about it. It was like, and you get like a readjustment allowance after you do the Peace Corps. I think it was like at the time, $6,000. And it was like, oh, this will be great. You can get an apartment. You can kind of get your life set. And I spent like most of it on travel on the way home. Like I went home through Russia and, you know, Turkey. And it was like, I have this chance to see, the, you know, see things. And, you know, it's like, I'm I'm so glad I did it because it changed my life and, and I'll always have that. It's like one of those intangible things that it's just, I'm so grateful I did it. I definitely want to do it again, but I definitely would say if you can make time for it, no matter how you do it, just try to try to try to do it. And it's not too late for you, even if you didn't study abroad when you were in college, you, you can still go, you know, try to do a trip when you can, like try to try to make that happen. I just, even if you only go for two weeks, um, it's just an incredible experience to spend a little more than a few days in another country, but to really get a chance to absorb the culture, learn the language, you know, at least language enough to be functional. It just, it just is so eye-opening. I think it's really critical for, for everybody that is able to, to do that. But anyway, yeah, you're right. I was so lucky and I'm so glad that I, I did it. You know, I'm, I'm really glad I, I took that opportunity to do as much as I could while I was figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> right. And how many languages do you speak now? Oh, God. Uh, I would say, I mean, I'm rusty, but I, I mean, Japanese and Mongolian. And then, you know, I studied Spanish in high school. I finally got to use Spanish um, about eight or nine years ago when I finally took a trip to Peru. So I actually got to use my high school Spanish, which was. Did you joyful. do the Inca Trail? I did. I did too. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my God, it's so amazing. Good. Yeah, and but I went during the... Okay, that's awesome. Okay, good, good. You've been to Peru. Okay, we can talk about Peru. Um, but I was there in February, so it was the off season. So I didn't do like the main route that everybody does. They kind of gave us like an alternate route. And then, you know, we took the train down to Machu Picchu and climbed it. And that was amazing. But um, oh my God, it was... Yeah, it's amazing there. Like, and and... Yeah, Machu Picchu. Oh my God, it was mm -hmm. like I I wish I'd had more time there just to explore and just be there because it's like it's just it's just kind of a magical place. Yeah, but um, yeah, but um, okay. So three languages, I guess I'd say fairly confident. But then I always try to learn. I I always like try to 
you know, learn more. Like, so, you know, when I lived in Mongolia, I tried to learn a little bit of Russian. Russia's right up there. And Mongolian uses Cyrillic um, as one of their main alphabets. So you can read Russian. If you learn Cyrillic, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, very similar, you know, to the, um, you know, English alphabet um, in the sense that you just memorize kind of the sounds and then you can recognize them. Um, so, yeah, and then I've learned a little bit of Chinese because we would go through China on the way to Mongolia and I've traveled through China a little bit, traveled to Taiwan and Singapore and Hong Kong. So that was helpful there. Also, Singapore, everybody spoke English. So, I, you know, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it, yeah, I, I know how to order four beers in Chinese because I went with three girlfriends and I'm like, we need to know how to order beers. And but anyway, it was... <laughs> So, uh, you know, and, and so whenever I go somewhere, like, I think it's not that hard to just like check out, although now you can download it. It's so easy. Everything's like online. You can just magically have something delivered to your phone, an app that will help you with just like learning a few of the basic things so that when you get to a country, you can be functional, like thank you and hello and goodbye. And how much does this cost and money, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, I learned a little bit of French when I was in France and, and that was super fun. And it made such a difference in the way people respond to you when, even if you're not doing it well, but when you try to use their words, you know, it's just um, really, really powerful. So I guess I'd say I feel fairly confident in three languages, although boy, I really need a brush up. You, you, you let that stuff go for a while. It starts to like, bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> So. It's true. But then it comes back so quickly. Like my high school yes. French, I'd, I've been learning French and German and I'm getting better at German, but my high school French is still there. Like I still remember how to pronounce those words for the most part. And I understand yeah. verb tenses in a yeah. way that 66 days of German on Duolingo is not the same. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you've lived around the world. And I know Minneapolis is home. Yeah. And you, you keep, you, you've worked around the country, but you keep coming back to the Twin Cities. So yeah. what is it about Minnesota, other than the great Mississippi, which is the greatest river in the world? I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing that. <laughs> right? Mark Twain didn't write about anything else. Totally. Um, I love the Mississippi. <laughs> I love it. It's a great uh, river. <laughs> second longest in the world. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. grow, look, but, uh, to all of our listeners, if you grow up in the Midwest, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so why why keep coming back to Minneapolis? Why not just be like, you know what? I'm just going to go do theater in Peru or yes. Mongolia or, I don't know, <sighs> Czechoslovakia. Yes, such a good question. A question I've asked myself many, many, many times. I, I mean, honestly, I I have thought about that. I have thought about moving quite a lot, getting closer to a place that I, I mean, I love the Twin Cities. I love Minnesota. I, you know, we have kind of the best of both worlds as far as like having a culture, a city culture that you know has the arts. And, well, <laughs> it's been on pause, but you know, has all the wonderful things that you live in a city for. Um, and and has a lot of the things that I'm drawn to personally, like nature, <laughs> the Mississippi, for example, um, you know, the woods, um, landscape, lakes. <laughs> um, I was going to say land of 10,000 lakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, the biggest reason for me, I think, I mean, you know, I, I worked I've worked quite a lot at Children's Theater Company. And I think I, I've, you know, even if I've only done one or two shows there 
typically in a season and worked at other places kind of in between, that's always kind of been like a, a really important place for me. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's been where I've done some of my proudest work. It's where I've learned so much. Um, it's where I've met incredible people and I have some incredible friends and colleagues. And, and that's kind of, that was like really where I grew up as a stage manager, like how to be a professional, but then also like, you know, with their focus on, you know, social justice and, and, you know, telling stories to children you know, to change the way people think about other people to really give insight like that always just kept me coming back there. It was just like this work is just so important and rewarding and fun and enlightening. Like it's making me better being a part of it. And it's it's also really exciting to be giving part of myself to it, too. So that's always kind of been the biggest draw for me, probably sticking around here. And I live like a 15 minute walk. To children's theater company so which is awesome um and, and a lot of other neat things too but it's like it's 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 a really cool community place that's always kind of been like my hub um the other major reason that i've stayed here is my family is here you know i have a lot of friends here from school um you know my folks still live here and stuff and my brother and my sister so i i it would be hard to you know, it was really hard when I lived overseas, uh, you know, for almost six years. And like, I remember leaving to, you know, if I'd come home for the holidays or something, I remember it was like, oh, I've got to get back on that flight. And I won't see them for several months. That was always really tough. I mean, our family is really close. We love each other. We love being together. We, you know, we just think we're great. <laughs> um, and we just really enjoy the heck out of each other. So I, you know, they like charge me and I do like being close to them. Um, but I do like, I, I feel like I'm pulled and, and, you know, I'm pulled to, I really would love to live somewhere very wild and natural and not quite as developed city. Um, and probably I will someday if I don't in the immediate future, but I, in the meantime, to kind of deal with that, I've, you know, worked in Alaska, I've worked in Utah, I've worked in, you know, I've sought out theater companies and places I wanted to be. I worked in Montana, um, you know, like I, there are incredible theater companies out there um, that if you do a little, you know, homework, you it's like, wow, you, you can, you can kind of do a little bit of both. So I would, you know, I started working up with uh, Perseverance Theater Company up in Juneau, Alaska about seven years ago in 2014. I did a show up there, um, Chicago, it was actually Chicago, the musical, which is kind of hilarious, but um, it was amazing. It was so much fun. It was so cool to be, there with Alaskans and and just like living that lifestyle also making theater but like just being there for like you know being a gig you know a gig worker basically like having a contract it's two months long you'll be here you'll live here you know you'll experience it and then you'll go home and you'll see your family so it's not like the full it's it was like kind of it's been a good compromise and I I like that I really have always loved traveling and and you know, it can be a little hard and, you know, like packing and taking everything with you, but it can also just be like so wonderful. And so I feel like I've got these other places where my heart lies now too, you know, where I have great friends and great people that I've been able to get to know really well and work with. So that's kind of been my sort of way to compromise. And then in the meantime, I've been like appreciating 
Minneapolis and the Twin Cities for what they are and how wonderful they are and, um, you know, and how much potential there is here for things to just keep getting better for all of us um, and, um, and to continue just, you know, making great art and um, telling stories and challenging each other and just kind of making it a, a great society for anyone to live. So um, that's kind of what's kept me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I love the way you described uh, your connection to the mission of Children's Theater. I'm assuming that Children's Theater Minneapolis, um, forgive me if that's not the right name, but I assume that they do children for theater, not children starring theater or not theater starring children. Right, right. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, you do the plays for kids, huh? You, you, you know, uh, we, we do a lot of shows for kids. But it's like, it's, it's a ginormous theater. It's, it's huge. It's like the, you know, it's, it's ginormous. It's like they have, like, it's a really world-class theater. Like, it's, you know, um, and they get artists from all over the world. You know, I've met incredible people there um, because they can do that, you know. And so that's been what's been exciting about it for me. I wasn't initially drawn to it because I was thinking theater for kids, although I grew up seeing shows there as a kid. So I always, you know, was in awe of it as a child. Um, and then just get it, you know, starting sort of my stage management career, there was like an unexpected twist. I didn't think that was going to become home base for me necessarily until I started working there and went, this is amazing. And then I worked at other places and I was always really glad to come back. You know, it was always like, oh man, there are just like so many things that work so well here and, you know, the kind of work that they do um, and are pushing for and stuff. Um, it's just like, yeah, it's, um, it's wonderful. So that, yeah, but you're right. It's not like, you know, I mean, sometimes our shows don't have kids in them at all. Like, I mean, I, often do get to work with, you know, student actors and, and it's wonderful. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. But yeah, our stories are like for families, you know, that we're, we're not just entertaining kids, but we're trying to like, you know, crack, crack the shell for, for everybody. Um, and, you know, understanding one another and kind of just trying to make the world better, trying to make the world the kind of place we all want to live in. And I, I really feel that when I'm there and I really feel that like, with my work and my contribution and when I listen and when I learn, like, it's like, this is, yeah, it's just always, you know, called me back. That's probably another reason it's, it would be really hard for me to leave it, leave the twin cities. It's just like that, that place is just such a gem. Um, and oh my gosh. And we have so many, so many incredible theaters here too. Like, I mean, I've, you know, worked at mixed blood and God, there's like, just, there's so many incredible things going on here. So there it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm definitely getting from you that you, you approach all of life as an adventure and a learning experience. Yes. Right. Um, yes. which is, a, is just a really exciting attitude to have, especially because on every production, we learn something new. And like yeah. you said, in every city that you go to, you learn something new and it's all a new adventure. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And and you're just so much better when you frame it that way for yourself. Like, I know if I'm just like, okay, it's an adventure, we're going into the unknown, but we're doing it together, you know, like, it can be, it can be, it can be difficult, like social anxiety, it can be tough to go to a new place and not know a soul. <laughs> but it's so good for you. 
<laughs> it's just so good for you. <laughs> you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to talk to people. You got to figure out how things work. And, you know, and, and I just, it keeps me pliable. You know, it makes me better at what I do here. It's like that, you know, it's like a little bit that kind of Peace Corps foundation that I had. It was like, you know, this is doing more for me than it might be for for you guys. But I, you know, I always, yeah, I always like to push through that. It's it's definitely something I don't want to lose. <laughs> right. And as you're, because you also talk about how the mission of the Children's Theater is to like help create this brand new world we want to live in. I'm going to segue into the We See White American Theater demands, which have made very clear the world that they would like to see. Yeah. Right. The changes that they would like within uh, theatrical institutions. And are you able, how have you been thinking about incorporating those into your work style or, you know, the industry or, I mean, you live in Minneapolis, which is where the George Floyd protests started over a little less than a year ago. Like, how is your community addressing that? And how are you seeing building that new world that we're going to come back into? Yeah. Oh, such a good question. Thank you for asking it. Um, Like, yeah. And this wasn't something I knew going into it. But one of the best parts of my job is that I get to work with all kinds of different people, like, uh, you know, from many different backgrounds. And I have become a better person because of that. I've learned from my my friends. I understand uh, the world better because I'm surrounded with, you know, a diverse group of people from, you know, different backgrounds, different races, different ages. Um, and it has helped me understand things beyond myself and my own world and my own upbringing. Um, and it's, it's made me understand what my role can be to help make the world better for everybody. Um, it, it will elevate myself, not that this is about me, but it's, it will make my life better as things, as, as more people work together and, and instead of just a homogenous kind of white dominated, you know, um, workplace, it's so much better um, for all of us. And and this movement, I think, um, is it it could be one of the most effective advocacy tools for change. Like it's 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 incredibly exciting um, because it 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 is like really just a very laid out call for activism, and and it's very specific. It's like we're not just saying like we want you guys to do diversity and we need more of this and that it, it, it calls out what has been done so far and what needs to change and why it needs to change. Um, and so I, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Like it's already, it, it, it like for me, it kind of works on three levels. It's like, it's, it's got like this sort of wider ring of like peer pressure, like po- kind of positive peer pressure of like, okay, theaters, you can join us or you can, you know, step aside or, you know, it's like, so there's kind of this like, like you're invited to join this, like is sort of how I saw it. Um, And a number of theaters have responded and said, okay, this is what we're, you know, we're going to like, everybody's like, let's raise the bar instead of just like, okay, yeah, we're, you know, we're for equity, diversity, and inclusion, but what are we really, what are the actual action steps that we're doing to actually change our policy and how we operate? Um, so, and and one of the biggest things, obviously, is getting, you know, people of color into positions of power so that, you know, that we, you know, so that they can advocate for everybody. 
Um, so that is a huge thing. But I was going to say, so sort of the, the first way I see it is like there's positive peer pressure for organizations to participate and meet the demands. I think that's awesome. Um, and then the other kind of like for me personally, like the way I, I think about it, like kind of closer to me level is like when I'm working in theater and I actually have been weirdly remotely <laughs> since I, like I, I, I've actually been working. It's interesting. But, um, you know, I I try to do this anyway, but I, I like that this, you know, lays out things specifically to think about. Um, you know, how am I empowering my colleagues? Like how, um, how am I engaging young artists? How am I including more people that might not usually be included in this work? How do we, how do we make this work so that people can do this? Like what, what was it that gave me a leg up and the opportunity to have the career I've had? And what can I do to help other people that would be really good at this, have those opportunities? And, um, you know, I think abolishing free, interns is a wonderful step in the right direction. Like that was, you know, like it, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like a harmful concept at the time, but, you know, inevitably it, it limits who's able to do that. Like who can afford to work those kind of hours as a stage management intern without pay, <laughs> you know, and, and, and transportation, like, how are you going to, like all of these things, like it just wasn't accessible for so many people. So, so that, that was limiting. And, um, so, so that's kind of like the, that tier. And then for this, and, and, and the way the whole, this, you know, the demands of, uh, we see you white American theater, like the, it's all coming out of like this movement for change that I think is being felt all over. But, but it's especially important in our industry to be leaders in it, I think, because we, we are the ones that, are so good at uh, teaching each other how to understand each other. So in a way we have to, you know, we have to lead with that. Um, and so, yeah. And so I think it's wonderful. And then I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of like, I had this idea of like, like three kind of ways that it works. It's sort of like a big scale. Like there's a peer pressure for theaters to join, like positive peer pressure. Like we should all, get on board with this and what are we doing to do that? So I think that's awesome and, and effective. Um, the second thing is like, how am I treating people I work with? And then kind of the third thing that I think about a lot, um, and especially after George Floyd was murdered, I mean, it, it, you know, is, is like, I, I, I think that a lot of this journey is like a personal journey. Like for me is like, what, what are my biases? What, what am I hitting up against the wall every day? Like, what are thoughts that I need to work on? How can I educate myself? I mean, I think having training through the workplace is wonderful. Like, you know, uh, social justice training, you know, right. Racial justice training. Like, I think that's wonderful. But then I think a lot of it is like, it's, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to educate ourselves. And I think there's, we're, there's a conversation about that now that, that, that I think the impact is just, it feels very big this time. I hope, I hope that's true. And I think because of the pandemic, because of, you know, uh, uh, we're seeing how this is affecting, you know, um, black indigenous and people of color, disproportionately to white people I think that that void you know is is resonating more in a way like that 
that impact um, of of how of how vulnerable people are um, is is resonating for a lot of people, and I think there's kind of a new awareness. I hope so, and it's not just in theater; it's you know, in a lot of organizations, even corporate America, I think is going like we really need to make some changes, and and how are we going to do that? And and like, what are the goals, and what are the what's that going to look like? You know, it's going to look like at least half of the people I'm working with aren't going to be white, you know, like it's the, like, let's not make it like the norm is white and we have a couple token people of color. Like let's make the norm, you know, at least half. And, and I, I think that's wonderful. Like, and I think it will be good for all of us. Um, and, and I hope to, you know, it's an exciting time to be alive. Like I hope to see that change in my lifetime, like really dramatically. And I really um, hope to be a part of that. Like, I hope to be helping with that and advocating for that. And, um, you know, and just the fact that people are talking about it, like having conversations that are uncomfortable um, and, you know, confronting your own biases and, and, and what can we do to change that? Like, we can listen more, you know, we can advocate in our own communities, our families and friends, and then work, you know, um, work out there in the world and, and, you know, try to make it a society where any child that is born into it has opportunity and a chance and, you know, to do everything that I've been able to do. So, um, I, I guess, yeah, I see it like on a lot of levels. I think it's super exciting. Um, and I think, you know, it's going to make things better for, for everybody. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, the demands, like, it, it's probably daunting for some theaters. It's probably like, uh, how are we going to do that? I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's conversations like that, but, um, you know, I think I, I, it's, it's critical. Like it's, it's, it's super important. It's especially important because we work in the arts. Um, and, and I think, um, it's, it's, it's exciting. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to get better. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic about it. I hope that's a good, you know, I hope, I hope I have reason to be, I just, I, I just hope that there is, you know, more awareness and, and that we're all working harder to, to really, you know, do the work and listen better. Um, and, and that happens when you're surrounded with, you know, people with all kinds of people, not just the people you grew up with and not just your homogenous society. You will, you will get better from it. You'll understand better. Um, and I, I think, yeah, that's like, that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think back to what you told me about your experience living in Japan for two years and your experience in Mongolia for three years. Is there anything that you learned during that time that you feel like helps prepare you for this upcoming change or to guide other people who may have not had those experiences. And so this really is more of a, a, a new yeah. experience outside of their comfort zone. Right. Right. Yeah. That's such a great, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely living, you know, living overseas changed my life, especially living in um, two Asian countries. You know, I was definitely a foreigner. I definitely stood out. I was different. Um, so like that experience, you know, I had a little insight into what it feels like to just be somebody that's different from everybody else. Um, and, uh, it, 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 you know, um, and that, that could be challenging. Um, but it, I, I learned a lot from that. And it, it you know, biggest thing is probably empathy. 
<laughs> you know, of like, oh boy, when there's one person that is different than everybody else in the group, I'm just like, are you doing okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I don't know. I just, I feel like, uh, like I want to check in, but, uh, so that was like, I guess, you know, you could say, I, I, I would say I took, take from that a little bit, but, um, also just, you know, there's there's nothing quite like living overseas and learning another language to understand a culture better and a people. Like, I'm so glad that I always push myself to learn another language. I, I really think that we need to do that more in this country, like emphasize other language learning when we're young. Like, I think sometimes people's discomfort with name changes like uh, I have to call like Calhoun Bidet McCoska is is like sometimes they're just uncomfortable with new words like it's just like being able to try to make the sounds of other people and 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 learning how they use their words gives you an insight that you you can't get any other way like until you really learn a language it 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 just gives you a deeper empathy and understanding. So I'd say that that I definitely take with me as we move forward in the movement. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I, yeah, that like definitely that overseas experience, like, like helped me. And, and, and it also like shook me of some of my, you know, kind of Western colonial tendencies of like, okay, things have to be like this. You know, I remember running this seminar and it was like, we have to have lunch at one thirty because then we're doing a thing at 2.30. And they're like, it's just not ready. And it was like, I had to, I mean, this isn't a like all encompassing example, but it was one of those things that I just went like, actually, it's fine. Like, it's completely okay to run things differently than the way you've always done it. And, and I think that, you know, as we embrace a lot of the things that are talked about, um, it, it, it's like maybe, maybe you know, maybe we could still have a rehearsal process that allows two days off a week. Like maybe we could still, you know, maybe the process could be different. Like, you know, this idea that there's only Western style training or that there's only this group of lexicon just devalues, you know, years and years of tradition of of so many other people and and we're missing out you know we're missing out on that and um and i think you know if people are slow to adapt to that i i hope that eventually they'll see the value in it um both working in it and then seeing the kind of art that can be created when more artists are empowered to tell their stories and to be part of that process it's actually going to elevate everything and and our own experience. So I think it's like, I just have to be an optimist and just go like, you know, like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to have uncomfortable conversations. Just put it out there. Like we, we, you know, we have to, you know, we have to get a little uncomfortable. White people have to get a little uncomfortable. Uh, everybody else has been uncomfortable for a really long time. I think it's, you know, it's time and, and uh, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be bumpy, but I'm, I'm, I just feel optimistic about it. And I hope it, you know, and I think in theater, we, like I said, I think we really have the chance to lead the way for a lot of people and especially, well, gosh, like at children's theater, like if you're doing shows for young kids, boy, you just have such an influence on their perception of the world. If you tell them a story that gives them an understanding into someone they've never even thought about before. So of course it should be, you know, it, it should include all people and all voices. So I'm, yeah, I think I, 
I think we should get excited about it. I love that takeaway. Don't be afraid. You know, just be optimistic and it'll work out. Yeah, Yeah, that was that was my takeaway from the Peace Corps for sure. How many times I was in a situation where I literally had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't fully understand the language happening around me. I mean, you know, I was pretty good, but it was like, I don't know what's going on. We're getting into a Jeep. We're going down to the river. We're, and then we have a goat roast, you know, or you, you just kind of have to be like willing to sort of step off into the void in life sometimes. Um, it, 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 it can be scary, but like it, 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 uh, it'll be good. <laughs> has been my experience. It will be, it will be good in the long run if you can zoom out. <laughs> <laughs> And how is how has it been working during the Great Pause? You said you were doing something on Zoom and you're wearing a Moab t-shirt for the I music know. festival last year. It's so weird. I've actually done some work. I mean, like it was it was wild. Like, okay, so a year ago everything shut down on Friday, March 13th. Mm-hmm. I was doing a show at Children's Theater. I was doing Spam Town, um, which was just a really fascinating show about some Minnesota history. Um, the the protests down in at the Hormel plant, like uh, in the 80s. And, you know, and so, you know, we were doing that show. I think we still had three, three weeks left to go in our run. It was supposed to go till April and everything shut down. Um, and so that last day, Friday, March 13th, we, we were going to have a public show, but instead we canceled it and just recorded the show and had like an invited audience and, and so, and, and then kind of, button it up on that but little did I know I was going to be not back there you know <laughs> it was like for as long as it's been we don't even know when we'll be back there for sure but um like I thought oh surely we'll be back by the fall <laughs> even though I <laughs> knew the science and it made absolutely no sense but um basically I you know had two months during layoff where it was just like I'm not working like I was just hunkered down just kind of watching Netflix, you know, watching, was it Tiger, Tiger King? Was that Tiger the, King. <laughs> Tiger said, King. I'm like, it's already been like a year. And I'm like, remember Tiger King? <laughs> <laughs> it, I got into it. I totally got into it. I got, I love that people were post. I was totally into social media those first two months. I was just like glued to my phone. I was reading the news all day long. I was just, you know, hung out with my parents and my brother, you know, just like, kind of did exercise and just kind of like went into hibernation mode, like really just didn't go anywhere, just, you know, stayed home all day, went went for a walk and stuff like that. But it was just kind of like this hunkering down. Um, and then I, I did one thing. Um, there's an organization in town called Spotlight Showcase, which advocates for, you know, high school students uh, to become professionals, you know, and so usually they do like a final production and, you know, have kids that get selected to go to New York and, you know, get exposed to artists out there. And it's really cool. Well, obviously all that, you know, got canceled, but what they still did was choose the students who, because they just started this program where they now have technical students, not just performers. So they, I was of course, very excited about that. I would have loved that. (laughs) Wow. A chance to go to New York as a kid or just even to try. I think that's incredible. Um, and so they just started the technical program this year. So I was able to actually through Zoom, um, interview the kids with, with, with the group of people. You know, there were a bunch of us interviewing them and then deciding who should be the kids to go the following year. And, and it was like such a wonderful process because there were these, teenagers that are just so 
adaptable and just rolling with it, like made their designs to work for the pandemic. Went like, okay, we could do this at a drive-in theater. And I figured out the angle of like where the audience should be relative. You know, they were like dealing with reality and dealing with how to, how do we still do this with what these parameters are, which was incredibly inspiring and just gave me so much hope. Also just their attitude and their spirit uh, and their work ethic. Holy crap. Um, of, you know, their designs and what they put together was super inspiring, but that was like such an honor to be part of the team that picked the kids that got to do that. Um, I'm going to do that again this year. So that was kind of basically like my first kind of gig <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, and it was all zoom. I was kind of the first time I got used to the new zoom world and, you know, like, uh, how does this work? How do I change my background? How do all that kind of fun stuff? So that was that experience. And then, after that, I I got, yes, I got offered the position to work with the Moab Music Festival as director of operations um, last fall. They do, they do an outdoor music festival every fall um, in Utah, and they've been doing it for, gosh, over 30 years there. And I've always had, you know, Moab's always been a special place for me. I, I've done a lot of rafting trips there with friends, and I love the outdoors and, and that landscape is just incredible like the national parks there are amazing and the you know the landscape i mean you got the colorado river it's not as good as mississippi i mean i don't know <laughs> but it's pretty cool <laughs> um no yeah and I, like yeah it's just it's incredible country like seeing that kind of geology and that you know like and that wildlife and the you know everything there is just totally amazing so to be able to do arts in that backdrop like heaven right but they wanted to do it during the pandemic. So they needed, you know, people to go down there and figure out how we can do this safely. And our audience is primarily age 65 and older. So it was kind of like thrilling, but it was very terrifying. Like the, the you know, like the, the weight of that responsibility of making sure we could do this, but do it safely and keep the artists and the staff and the, the audience safe. Um, and so it was, it was quite stressful, <laughs> that pressure, um, underneath on the surface, it was so wonderful to be down there. It was thrilling to be problem solving and trying to keep one ear on the science and what's going on as things were evolving and, and one ear on like trying to just make a show like we usually do. But it was, um, you know, I think the biggest reason I decided to do it because I was like, well, it's outside, you know. Based on everything we know, that should be safer. If we can space people out, maybe there's a way to do that. But of course, it's always there's always a risk that you could spread it and somebody could get sick, and that was always kind of hanging over. Um, but it, we did it, <laughs> we did it, and uh, you know, we did. Yeah, we did like seven concerts, and we had no cases linked to the festival. I mean, you know, there were a, a number of parameters that were in place that made that possible. We were outside. The cases were extremely low in the state at the time. It was still very early in the pandemic. Um, so thankfully, we had all those things in our favor. Of course, we still had people wearing masks and we were, you know, socially distancing people when they were sitting together. We kept them six feet apart from each other, but they could be together in their own little kind of pods. Um, and and it worked but we we're also lucky you know like it's also like there you know the pandemic there's like that little luck of the draw thing and i i mean it was that was that was nerve-wracking but it was also just like 
when it did work and we did have artists come down from New York, um, you know, they, they were like, I haven't played since March. I had it. This is incredible just to be outside. One of the days um, we were on the river in this area called the Grotto. It's a natural formation in Canyonlands National Park. And it just started to rain a little bit, which is kind of unusual for September, but it got it. Well, it, it can defend, but it was, it was raining and we had a baby, you know, we had a grand piano, a Steinway set up on the sand. And so we had to cover it like with a easy up just to keep the rain out of the, cause it's open, you know, we don't want to, don't want it to get rusty. You've already <laughs> dragged this thing down the river. So like it, it was, it was kind of insane, but also just magical. Like it was just wonderfully rewarding, um, kind of epic. I'm going to do that again this year. Um, this will be my second, you know, second time, third time going back. I worked on the crew years ago, so I had, you know, some sense of what to expect, but, um, went with a good friend of mine who's also a stage manager in town, Nate Stanger. Um, and oh, holy cow, he helped me a lot with that. But mostly we were able to bounce things off of each other. Like, does that seem safe? That seems safe, right? That'll work, right? You know, but it was, yeah, that was awesome. Um, really cool, but also incredibly nerve wracking and, and also complicated because it was like, is this a good idea? Like we're bringing people from out of state here. And a lot of people are, you know, have a lot of health conditions, are older. It was, you know, that was that was a little stressful. But thankfully, you know, it, it went well and, and people said they felt safe and, and that was good. Um, and it was it was incredibly profound to be doing performance <laughs> during the pandemic outside. I mean, it was, you know, like tear jerking moving. It was it just felt like, OK, this was the right thing to do. But I mean, again, in hindsight, geniuses in hindsight. Thankfully, we were all okay. So that anyway, that was in September, and then in November, I got I I got offered an equity contract to work with Perseverance on a new show they were doing that was totally done through Zoom, um, with actors all across the country, um, mostly based in Alaska and California, and then I had a couple on the East Coast, um, and uh, it was called Spirit of the Valley, um, and it was incredibly fun all indigenous cast all in uh, mostly indigenous uh creative team and um it and and they are already implementing the principles of we see you white american theater like we you know and it was like i can say it was just like it was amazing even though it was zoom <laughs> which isn't the same as being in the same room with people it was amazing to me what i learned doing that like it um you know, you have access to artists that you might not otherwise because they'd be too busy in their own community. So we got to learn some of the important dances in the show from the source. You know, it, it, that was like really amazing and eye opening. Um, and then we, you know, we did we did that kind of performance and people would stream in and stuff. So that was really cool. I did that. Then then I had a little break. Then I've been doing kind of this event work during the day, like it's a little bit more corporate um, with this other organization that I heard about through a friend. So that's like all kind of Zoom stuff on East Coast time. So I've been kind of doing some of that. Um, it's it's kind of like doing event work in person, like running a conference, you know, you're dealing with corporate executives and helping them and that kind of thing. So that that's been like I picked up some work that way. And then I'm right now in rehearsals for another show with Perseverance. Uh, called the Winter Bear Project, which is um, a, a, it's um, it's going to be broadcast to indigenous communities in Alaska, and and it deals with suicide, which is a huge problem, um, especially with young people, and and it's addressing that. This is a show that's been around for a long time, but this is the first time it's going to be done virtually 
and then recorded and then distributed that way out there. So that's, this is like also, you know, what I've been doing. I'm on the, I'm on the Alaskan rehearsal, rehearsal schedule. So I rehearse Tuesday through Friday from eight to 1230, <laughs> um, which would be five to 1030 in Alaska. So that would be kind of normal if you were there. Like if you have a day job, you could just go to rehearsal, but um, it's, it's kind of extreme for here, but it's just, it's just so joyous to see those folks and to like be a part of it, even though I'm here, you know, in uptown and stuff. And um, yeah, so I've weirdly, I, I haven't, you know, I've been weirdly working. It's like, I can't wait to get back and do stuff with people in person. I don't want to do zoom forever, but there are some nice things about it like there's it's like we could do production meetings with zoom it's like if it's easier for people to just be at home if it's at a weird time of day or if it you know it's it's like there's no i although you know there is something valuable about people being in the same room together so i but i feel like you know we could learn a lot from this sort of hybrid you know or at least now people are more comfortable with zoom and i think we're like okay we can actually get a dialect coach that is perfectly specific to what we need for the show and she can live in Arizona and we can do the show in Minnesota and that's not going to be a problem you know like it's it's it I think we're seeing like how valuable that can be so god I got so off track what was your original quote <laughs> that's great <laughs> blah, all right blah, blah, blah. I've only got I've got only got a few minutes and I've okay. got two more questions okay great great what are you a nerd about oh my god yes Such a good and it question. doesn't have to be stage management it can just be like okay the thing that you deep well let me be honest i deep dial down on disney like disney's beauty and the beast i have two shelves of books dedicated to that yeah. so when you were like disney's animation i was like yes yes oh my god i was such a geek for it like i read so much about it i, I totally got into it but i love to you know get into a thing i'm not a big fiction reader which is kind of funny because i work in theater but um i love reading nonfiction. i love learning about things. So like, you know how I told you about my tea here. Um, I years ago got obsessed with tea. I think it was after I lived in Japan. So I really got into it. I read all about it. I know all about the different types, you know, green, oolong, white, um, what the process is, you know, all that kind of stuff. What, you know, the difference between tea from China, tea from Japan and, you know, tea that's grown in India, um, really got into it that. So, you know, in that same way, I love to geek out on other things like give me a topic. Okay. Wine. I had a wine obsession. <laughs> I had, um, you know, um, the other thing I love to nerd out on actually is native plants. I, I'm a big gardener. Um, I, you know, when I travel and I'm hiking, I love to learn about whatever is local. Um, also, you know, when you travel around this country, you go up to Alaska, you see a lot of things that are similar, you know, like there's a lot of things we have in northern Minnesota that you find in Alaska that you find in the mountains of Utah. Like, I love learning about that. Um, uh, so, I, yeah, I'd say there's there's not a subject that just has tons and tons of things to learn that I wouldn't be interested in. Like if it's plants, is it trees, is it, you know, movies, is it, you know, tea? <laughs> so I, I, I kind of just go in phases of like, what am I interested in? And let me just geek out on that. So that's, you know, I, I, it's all over the place. I think now that it's getting to be spring, I'm probably going to be getting back into the plants again. I also love design. I also love, you know, um, fashion I love you know all all that kind of stuff like I just I love the process of creation and you know all, all in the global picture of how we make a play too but I also love 
the microcosm of each of those little industries too. So I'd say, yeah, I'm a nerd for darn near anything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What brings you joy? And let me just say that as we've been talking in my head, it's just you hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Like just, you're just going to hike the Continental Divide and the Appalachian Trail and bicycle across the country. And to, to me, this is just who you are. Totally. Yeah. You pretty much nailed it. Just, just add one picture to that. And that would be my dog. <laughs> she would be there with me. Yeah. It, it, but that's about it. Yeah. No, that, you, you nailed it. Like I, um, I've, I've been really thinking about wanting to do the, um, you know, the, um, what is that? The, in, in Spain, um, the, Oh, the Camino, the Camino, yeah. The Camino, the Camino de, de Santiago. Yeah. Santiago. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've been like dying to do that. Um, you know, watched a ton of documentaries on it. I think it'd be super fun to do that. Um, you know, cause the whole thing, like, Oh my God, you have people from all over the world. I love the idea of seeing the cathedrals and the idea of a journey, kind of a spiritual journey a time for reflection, walking stimulates your brain. It, you know, it stimulates electrical energy, but it also like gets you out into nature. It just is like, it's absolutely one of my favorite things is hiking. Like you just, you nailed it on the head, but you're right. That would absolutely give me joy. Um, at the same time, like, I love my time alone. I love my time to reflect, but I just get so much energy, like having this conversation with you. Um, I, you know, I just love being with other people. They excite me. I can't wait to be, I can't wait to be in a crowded bar. I can't wait to, you know, be in the rehearsal room again. I can't wait to have a cast party at my house, you know, with all kinds of people and like, make fun cocktails for people or non-alcoholic cocktails, if that's what they want. But I just like, I love I love being around people, but I also love my, that, that gives me the most joy, time to myself and time with, you know, people that excite me. That, that just absolutely gives me joy. <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely picked up on that. You're just, your whole spirit, Chris, is joy and adventure oh, and optimism. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. Okay, good, good. Then, I, that, then that's, that's what I was trying to convey. <laughs> no, no. Like no, if yes. I had a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the listeners can hear the perpetual yes. smile that has been on your face. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're sweet. (laughs) The smile on um, my face. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lovely conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for your time, too, and all your great questions. It just, you know, just what you're asking is just giving me hope for the future, too. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Places, folks. This is your places call. Places for the top of the show. Places, please. Thank you. This was the sixth episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Chris Schweiger. The stage manager calling places was Jacqueline Saldana. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank, Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. All right, we have the house and we have places. Thank you, everyone. Stand by, please, for the top of the show. Please sit your butt down. Sit your butt down. All right. Have a great show, everyone.